0: Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. You're listening to Your Daily Drive, and I am Rick Thomas, and I'm glad you are here. The podcast that I want to share with you today is titled Counseling is Not the Best Context for Long-Term Transformation. If you want to read this podcast, go to our website, rickthomas.net, N-E-T. And just type in some version of this title, Counseling is Not the Best Context for Long-Term Sanctification. Now, what you see in that title and what you probably understand as far as biblical counseling is concerned is biblical counseling is a short season that a biblical counselor would offer to someone so that they can experience some kind of change or difficulty that they are working through. However, the Bible teaches this idea of progressive sanctification, and what that means is is that none of us are perfect. None of us will be perfect all the way up to the point that we see Jesus. And so what we are looking for in our Christian faith after we are born again is long-term upward sustainable change now that is not the biblical counseling model because biblical counseling is a seasonal ministry at best it's a good ministry but it's a seasonal ministry at best what the christian needs what every christian needs let's say that you're regenerated at 25 years of age which is When God regenerated me, I was 25 years old. Let's say that I live till I'm 90, if God allows me to live that long. What that means is I'll have 65 years of progressive sanctification. That is long-term transformation. I am not going to be in a counseling office, God willing, for 65 years. And that's why I say counseling is not the best context for long-term transformation. Biblical counseling has a place in our community as long as we keep it in its place. But God has given us a better means of grace for people to change. And if we implement that means of change into our lives, into our families, into our local churches, we'll see more people changing Now the idea that I'm talking about here is discipleship. Some people call me a biblical counselor. Now I am okay with that term regarding my life's work for the most part. I offer biblical advice to people in need. You could say I provide biblical counseling. I hope it's biblical, I hope what I share with people is biblical. But I want to give you a caveat. Biblical counseling has never been, and as far as I know, it never will be, a point of emphasis for me or the direction in which I have set my compass. Now, you have already heard me say in this podcast that biblical counseling is a good idea it has a usefulness within the local church. I am not saying it's unbiblical. I am not throwing it throwing it out with the bathwater, but I'm saying it's, it has its place. And it would be far better for Christians as often as they can to promote the idea of discipleship whenever they can. There are unintended consequences of the biblical counseling movement. One of the biggest unintended consequences is that it can create in some people's mind a two-tier system. When you ask someone uh, that you're or if you suggest to someone that they are a biblical counselor, the average Christian would say, Well, I can't do that. But God has called every Christian to do to do the work of discipleship that's what the Great Commission is he did not call us to do biblical counseling he called us to do discipleship now you could say that biblical counseling and discipleship are synonyms but this this is important as far as our language is concerned and the message that it conveys, because many Christians would tell you straight up that I am not a biblical counselor, that they are not a biblical counselor, because they have a cultural idea of what biblical counseling is. Therefore, if you change the language and say that you are a disciple maker, you are a disciple of Christ, you're a follower of Christ, and, you're, and part of your commission is to go out and to make disciples, well, then the point is not arguable anymore then they would be interested to learn how to do the work of discipleship. And so my passion and emphasis, they are grander than biblical counseling. I am part of the local church movement. That's what I'm a part of. And what I do is discipleship. Now, some people would call my Perspective, unnecessary hair splitting, and I, I think I understand why they would say that, but I think it is a hair worth discussing, even splitting if need be. I'm not trying to be argumentative, but this is a big deal for the local church. We are called to do discipleship and to do it well, and we need to be equipping every believer in this idea of discipleship. Now, I understand the purpose of biblical counseling, and believe it or not, I appreciate its rise in popularity within many local churches. In some ways, I am a fan of biblical counseling, but on its best day, it is still the tale and not the dog when it comes to New Testament soul care strategies. My affection is for the dog, metaphorically speaking, which in the grander scheme of things is the local church. for two, Not a counseling office, but the local church. And for two millennia, we have called the process of sanctification discipleship. And I'm not willing to move off that word because it is the perfect word for what we are called to do as Christians. When we look at the Great Commission, there are multiple parts to the Great Commission, and our ministry has always landed on the aspect of teaching them all that Jesus has taught us. Yes, we are evangelistic. Yes, we will meet with any person regardless of where they fall on the salvific line, meaning before salvation or after salvation we will evangelize we will penetrate the world we will train people a lot but where our ministry has historically landed is the is on the idea of discipleship progressive sanctification and the idea of discipleship connotes the fullness of what sanctification should be with an individual with a family And with a local church in that order we should take care of our lives individually if we're part of a family then our family should be a small group community where we're spurring one another on to loving good deeds and then our families go into our local churches and then our local churches become these robust discipleship sanctification center centers and that is where I land on this idea of long-term transformation, and it's why I titled the podcast again, Counseling is Not the Best Context for Long-Term Transformation. If you want to read this podcast, I would encourage you to do it. Go on the website, look for that title. You can read it. I have two infographics here that would be important for you to visually understand what I'm saying, and also have some articles embedded here that you can do a deeper dive if you want to our website is a sanctification center it is a discipleship center where any individual can come as long as you have access to the internet you can enter into our sanctification center and you can find resources whether they're audio resources like this podcast that you're listening to uh, written resources like the article that i'm sharing with you we have graphics we have mind maps Uh, we have video resources of all, all sorts right up to webinars where I do teaching lessons that are available. It is a robust, fully orbed sanctification center that you can come to because this is our passion to help people in this area of discipleship. Now any method of change including biblical counseling, but any method of change that is biblical is use, is a useful method. If it's biblical, then it's a useful method, and I am all for as many methods as we can accrue as long as they're biblical and they help people in this idea of transformation, and so this podcast is not doing away with or it's not even a suggestion that we discontinue any excellent and biblical way of transformation including biblical counseling and biblical counseling is one of those beautiful means of grace that the lord gave to his church now, in this infographic, I have actually listed several methods of change for your consideration, and I put them in a an order of priority from lowest to highest. Let me share these with you. On the lowest, and this is subjective, it's arguable, I understand, uh, but for the sake of conversation, the lowest as far as a method of change are books and then On top of books, I have programs, and then I have Bible studies. Uh, Then I've listed community, uh, one-to-one care, gender groups, counseling, group life, and then the family. I would see the family as the primary context for change because that is the one place where we are together together for an extended period of time in a 24-7 context, even better than the church. Because the church, as far as a local body is concerned, you can duck in and duck out of, you can uh, have partial connectivity with the local church, but where you interact on a daily basis is your family. And so your family, which consists of a husband and wife, if you're a husband and wife, or a dad and a child, or a mom and a child, uh, if you're two people within the family, that is a family. And so your family becomes the primary context for transformation uh, to take place. And, of course, the family, in my view, would be the top of the food chain. As far as sanctification is concerned, I have books, programs, and Bible study at the bottom as far as methods of change. Now, the reason that I have books, programs, and Bible studies at the lower end of the food chain is because they're more foundational than transformative, really. Really? They're not necessarily interactive, and they're more about gaining knowledge. There is much to glean, and there's much benefit from robust Christian literature. Every Christian reads books. Every Christian reads the Bible, of course. And every Christian should read their Bible, and they should read books. Every Christian should participate in various church programs and, of course, Bible studies They are critical to our growth. And so there's much to glean and to benefit from Christian literature, church programs, and Bible studies. And I know that you have benefited from these things as far as a means of sanctification is concerned. But when it comes to the whole process of sanctification, there are better ways for transformation than just reading books just participating in programs or Bible study. Now, the reason for that is, is because sanctification, if you break it down into its simplest form, it's two principal parts, knowledge, and application. If you want to mature in Christ, you need both of these parts. You need the acquisition of knowledge. You need means for acquiring knowledge. Now, that's what books will do for you. That's obviously what Bible studies will do for you. That is what church programs will do for you. It is part of the sanctification process, but it is not the totality of the sanctification process. You need both knowledge and application. So books, programs, Bible studies, they are parts of the ways in which we gain understanding. They are means that build a knowledgeable foundation into anyone's life. Without Bible training, we would have nothing to apply to our lives. Let me give you a short illustration that uh, i use to explain this idea of the two principal parts of sanctification knowledge and application if you have knowledge without application it can lead to arrogance that is what paul said in first corinthians 8 knowledge can puff up and so if all you do is read books if all you do is read your bible you could be in a dangerous place You could become an arrogant Christian. But then we have other Christians who don't have knowledge. And they're making all these decisions. And they're doing all of these things. But it's not based out or derived from the Bible. And so knowledge without application leads to arrogance. But application without knowledge leads to foolishness. I have counseled many people in my life who have made those decisions, they have made application, and when you begin to unpack what they are doing, it's like that's not founded on the Bible, and that's why it ends up with foolishness. Knowledge without application leads to arrogance. Application without knowledge leads to foolishness, but knowledge, biblically applied, leads to wisdom it leads to Christian maturity. And that's why I said that we have two principal parts when it comes uh, to this idea of maturing into faith, being wise, and that is knowledge and application. That's also why I said books, programs, and Bible studies, they are foundational, they are critical, they are basic, but you need more than theology. You need context in which you can apply your theology to your life, and that is called progressive sanctification. If you're doing both of these things, you're reading books, you're studying your Bible, you're learning from programs, let's say, if you're doing that, and then you are in a place where you can apply all that information, then you're in the best possible place for progressive sanctification to happen. Now, the most effective means for sanctification to take place is in a loving group of Christ like disciple makers. I've already said that your family is the best group a husband and a wife, a husband, wife, and a child, or children, a dad and a, a child, or a mom and a child, however that breaks out. But that is your family, and that is the best group that's the best community for you to be a christ-like disciple maker and if your family is studying god's word learning from god's word through whatever the means are available whether it's bible studies or programs within your church or reading other christian literature you're in a very good spot and you're in the best place for long-term effectual change now the local church obviously would come second it would come after the family. Now the reason for that is is because you can weave in and out of a local church. You don't have 24/7 connectivity to your local church, but you do with your family. You can't really get get away, you can't really get away from your family, and that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. And it allows you to work on so much and the local church is where these families grow and mature together. Now because these kinds of sanctification groups are few and far between, meaning Families who are truly Christ-like disciple-makers, where the husband and wife are iron sharpening iron and the children and the parents are iron sharpening iron. And because local churches can be weak and anemic, other things have cropped up within our culture to, to take the place of what families should be doing and what local churches should be doing. For example, my ministry this parachurch organization, and other parachurch ministries. That is why biblical counseling is, is so strong within certain parts of our Christian culture. Now there is unintended consequences to this, and there are liabilities with them, and it is unfortunate because it can, as I've already stated, take away from the local church, take away from the fabric of the family as far as a discipleship community. That's not what I desire with our parachurch ministry, and I know it's not what J. Adams desired in the late 60s when he wrote Competent to Counsel. What he was doing was trying to reclaim this idea of counseling from our culture. So he wrote this wonderful book that, I don't know, zillions of people have read. And he was making a strong case for discipleship within the local church. This necessity for our families and for the local church to do soul care well, is why I prefer to call what I do discipleship rather than biblical counseling. I don't want to do anything that, that smacks of or connotes this idea of a two tier system. I want to envision and equip every Christian according to their capacity, realizing that some will do it better than others because of God gifting. But I want every Christian to know that they are a discipler of Christ. If you are a Christian, you are a disciplee. You're a follower of Jesus. You're a disciple. And you're also a discipler as you live out the Great Commission by teaching others everything that Jesus is teaching you. Discipling, or what has been popularized in the church today and called counseling, is what every Christian can do, according to their personal gifting, as I said, and also the relational contacts that the churches provide for them to disciple others. Now, in these two graphics, I lay this out. I'm not going to walk out these two graphics in their entirety, but I would love for you if you can go to this article on our website. Counseling is not the best context for long-term sanctification you can look at these two graphics and it would help you to understand in a more effectual way what I'm trying to communicate here through this podcast. But the perspective that I'm communicating is, is that sanctification is the job for every believer. Unfortunately, because of weaknesses in our family, weaknesses in our local churches, things like our membership, our supporting member site, uh, becomes a means of grace that people use. And I, and I don't want to, it's not my intent here, to run anybody off. I'm glad for every person that God has brought to our ministry. I'm glad for all the folks that support our ministry. But all of them know, if they've listened for any amount of time, they know that our heart's desire is is not to pull away from the local church, but to make a strong case for the local church. As I like to say, that all roads from this ministry lead from us and to the local church so when people come to us at some point in the process as we continue to care for them we want to make that case and we want to help them to get inside of a local church so they can be contextualized there so that they can learn and grow and mature within that context, and so that they can also have all the resources they need to be disciple makers. Now, within the local church, there are many opportunities, like men's groups, gender groups, women's groups. You have all kinds of one-to-one meetings. You have the opportunity of doing life together. Doing life together gives you the opportunity to live life as it is happening today, right now. You know, there is a difference between hearing how a man treats his wife in a counseling session versus living with a man who treats his wife poorly. I can't overemphasize that point. I have heard so often in an artificial context which is a counseling session a counseling office is a constructed artificial context where people come from their world their milieu and they come to this context to share what is happening or what has happened in their life and so they would say that uh, well this is what he did Uh, this is how he reacted when i did whatever well That's okay, but it's not nearly as good as observing a person who is doing that live, real time. No matter how much you think you know someone, there is no replacement for living with them. I've had more than one person tell me, quote, Rick, you do not know my spouse because you do not live with him, end quote. And I wholeheartedly agree, which is what makes these inferior means of grace, like a counseling office, not as effective as doing small group living together, life-on-life ministry. If an individual was part of this man's life on a day-to-day basis— if an individual was interacting with him in multiple contexts, they would see all of this, and they would have a, not just a front row seat, but they would be on the stage with this man in his life, and they're in the best possible place to bring care to this man. Everybody who has been married for more than six months understands this predicament because they have experienced the difference between dating a person and marriage and marrying them. That's an analogy. The dating relationship is like a season of counseling, while doing life together is like marriage. The dating relationship creates brief interludes where the real stuff about our lives can be, is, somewhat hidden. But marriage is an uninterrupted context where where we can't hide our authentic selves from each other. It's the difference between counseling, dating, and marriage, which is life on life in an uninterrupted sense. More than one marriage partner has been surprised by what their marriage relationship revealed after the dating was over, after the exchange of the rings, after they said, I do. Small group life, or doing life together, is not the same as marriage. But, is, but you can see that it's, it's closer as far as doing life together, and it gives you more opportunities to truly learn a person or to learn a couple. It's far more significant because of all the possible context that you have to engage each other. Let me list a few contexts of doing life together. You go on vacations together. You can email and text each other. You can talk on the phone. You can have social gatherings, corporate meetings like your local church. You can provide meals for each other, eat together, of course. You can get together as couples. You can do childcare for each other. You can pray for each other. You can meet in small groups. If you're doing all of these things together with each other, which is what I mean by doing life together, that is a hundred times better than going to a counseling office and receiving biblical counseling. I began leading our last small group that we attended on July the 4th, 2010. We led that group for four years. For the most part, we met every Sunday evening for two hours. That was how we met. And Lucia and I also met with each couple monthly, usually on a Thursday night, and I met with each man in our small group once a month, usually either on the morning time or on the at lunchtime depending on the on the man's schedule. We went on vacations together, we shopped together. Not all of us went on vacation together at one time, but various members of the group. We went shopping together, we worked out together, we helped each other move, we celebrated birthdays, we blew up Christmas trees with fireworks, and I won't get into all of that, but that was a lot of fun. There are some of the things that I've never, these are the things I've just listed here, I've never done with counselees, because the counseling process is a restrictive artificial environment that happens outside of real life situations. All of the people in our small group have sinned against each other, and I have led the charge sadly. We've hurt each other's feelings. We offended one another, got mad at each other, as well as cried together and prayed together and encouraged each other. We experienced the full range of life's joys and challenges in our small group. When we came together to meet, we, we talked about our lives or the Sunday sermon or both. Our meetings were pneumatic more than structured, though the theme never changed. We come together to help each other mature in our sanctification, and we did not deviate from this purpose no matter how imperfect we were. During our small group time, I typically sent questions to our small group for discussions. Now I have listed an email that I sent to our small group, and I'm not gonna read it in its entirety, but it's here In this article, and I would encourage you to read it and it will give you an idea of how we did life together and how we communicated with each other. But the point is, is that that context, as far as iron sharpening iron and stirring one another up to loving good works is far superior And though some local churches struggle to provide this kind of intentional care, there are ways today to receive care. And it might not be the most effective care, but it is biblical help and it's available to you. And so what I want you to do is to continue to seek the means of grace that God has given you. Don't stop receiving help from where you're receiving biblical help. But I want you to think about what I said in this podcast, and I want you to strive to make your families and your local churches better sanctification context, because those two contexts are the best places for long-term transformation to happen.